there's one thing I've learned about experts. They're experts on fuck all. And if there's a law, you can bend it. If there's a law, it can be broken. And from now on, I'm breaking all the rules. Because desperate men do desperate deeds. Here we are. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the final segment of the final hour of Overdrive. This week's Sunday Wire, episode 170 of this weekly omnibus news and analysis juggernaut. Thank you so much for joining us. What a wonderful segment from our last guest, Eva Bartlett. That's three fantastic segments from three different guests this show. This has been an amazing show, but we're not finished just yet. Just yet. There's a few stones that have been left unturned, uh, which we shall turn over to find out what do you normally find when you turn a stone uh, in the woods? What do you normally find? You find vermin and bugs and all sorts of little creepy crawlers. So let's turn over a few of these stones to help me do that. ACR's Hesher, host of the Hessian Session. Hello, Hesher. Hello, Patrick. Thanks for inviting me into the show today to turn over some stones and see what kind of uh, swamp and creature life we can find. Well, I, I thought you'd enjoy a little bit of this because we did. I'd left a few on the table um, that I didn't get to in the first segment, and it's kind of important stuff. But uh, you know, when we did our annual predictions, 2017 predictions, you can go up at 21st Century War. Go look it up. Uh, a number, some of these predictions have come true already. It's been fast, you know. It's that kind of year, right? So oh, yeah. Michael Moore, one of my predictions was that the Democratic Party would do the same stupid thing that Republicans did in 2009, which is to start an insurgent party within a party, which was the Tea Party, and that they were going to run primaries. And basically, if you weren't pure enough, if you weren't conservative enough or whatever, you'd be attacked vilified by the tea party so the the democrats were going to do the same thing that's what i predicted and sure enough michael moore himself uh the the man i don't know what to he's he doesn't even look i don't know i want to get into the michael moore oh yeah we probably shouldn't talk about his looks or we'll run out we're not going to talk about hormone replacement therapy none of that it's totally off limits okay so don't even think about it okay yep we're not going to talk about his double chin either because that's not nice no no or the cheeseburger count that lies in his wake no we're not going to talk about any of that not no we're going to be respectful towards him okay now michael moore uh, basically ver- verified our prediction already uh, at the, uh, the the Great Woman's March uh, in Washington, D.C. Roll this Michael Moore clip. Listen to this. It's about building a movement it's for a whole, action. It's a whole movement, and it, and it is building, and it will be there. It will be vocal. People are going to get involved. This is not just some picnic here to show up for the... I, I, seriously, I have never seen... I've been to a lot of... I was at the counter-inaugural to Richard Nixon right out here. <laughs> it was nothing like this. Yeah. This was something, and I, I, again, I couldn't tell from the stage, but 70 to 80% of the crowd had to be women. I mean, it was, it was an amazing thing. I'd never seen anything like this in my lifetime. And they're going to go back home, and they're going to organize, and they are going to let their members of Congress know that we're not going to tolerate any of the things he's going to do, and we're going to send the message to the Democrats, new blood, a, a new day here. This cannot be 
the old way. And I think we have to do essentially what the Tea Party did to Republicans. Primary them. We are, we are definitely going to primary them. We are going to run progressives in these congressional districts. If they don't stand up to Trump, if they don't start fighting for these things that you mentioned, these jobs that we need, if they keep pushing these trade deals that have hurt my family and the people that I know and love and grew up with, they are not coming back into, into office. And, and the, you know, we're talking about... Okay, so there, there you go, Hesher. Straight from the, uh, straight from the, uh, the Hamburglar's mouth. Oh, wow. There it is. Well, that was, that, you were right. That was uh, not, not a far stretch to call for, for a prediction right there. But who'd have thunk it would come one day into the new administration? Yeah, so that's Michael Moore, who's, who's really, he's, he's positioned himself as the leader of this new Democratic Tea Party, basically. And so what he's saying is we're going to run progressives. And if they're not, so that they basically, the, Trump was the one that brought up the trade deals that went anti-TPP uh, and so forth. And so they're, one, they're now trying to graph that issue and make it um, a progressive issue when the whole time President Obama and the progressive uh, people, the Hillary Clintons of the world, have been pushing uh, these globalist trade deals you know, from the beginning, basically, um, either out of the CFR through Bilderberg or whatever. So now all of a sudden it's the people's issue. Michael Moore is trying to co-opt it, basically. But the problem is, Hesher, the, that that protest you saw out there in D.C. and in other cities, they don't care about trade deals. They don't even know what's in the trade deals. They don't know what the trade deals do. What they care about is identity politics, that is their number one priority, and that's what it will end up being. If they do a Democratic Tea Party, it'll they'll fight and tear each other to pieces about which candidate they're going to run. They're going to demand that they're all women, black, Latino, whatever, it, uh, LGBT. That will be the focus is, you know, what group do you belong to? Because they've already hitched their wagon, you know, or hitched their horse on that on that wagon train. It's done already. Oh yeah. It's going to have the, the the trade deals aren't going to come into it. It's going to turn into an identity politics uh, mayhem. Basically, that's what's going to happen. It will. Yeah. And <laughs> you know they're they're crazy if they think that the the rest of the con- the rest of the country you know that that map of all the votes all that red they're crazy if they think all those people aren't going to see this happening and know exactly what it is. I mean. It's a terrible strategy going forward for them to stick with identity politics. I mean, that that whole thing is breaking down in front of their faces. The mainstream media has just been completely discredited on it. it you know, so it's it's a losing it's a losing proposition for them. But of course, it's the one they're going to fall back on. So you know, so they had a good you know the Democrats. Um, they forty two percent of women voted for Trump. Okay. So if you're having a women's march and really half the women in the country aren't with you and you still lost the election, you're not going to peel off any new women by going around with, uh, you know, giant, um, you know, giant coat hangers up and down the streets of Washington, D.C. OK, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's, so they're, they're only going to lose um, in numbers. OK, there's only so many people that you can co-opt into this radical kind of um, combative uh, sort of feminist um, diatribe that the whole thing's based on. And so where were all the protests, Hesher? Washington, D.C., 
New York, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. Portland. And what were, how did all those cities, Chicago, how did all those cities vote Boston? How did all those cities vote during the election? They voted for who? They voted for Hillary, of course. They did. And what happened to Hillary? She lost. So, so there's no change. <laughs> this is basically a pep rally. This is a funeral procession for the, for the American political left. This was their funeral today or yesterday. That was it. That was their big... You know, I've been on I've been on the biggest march in history. Okay, uh, it was in London. It was the Iraq War March, right before the war. It was the biggest thing that's that's ever come out on the street. Okay, this is before Facebook. This is when people were messing around. A few people had MySpace. That's about it. And in terms of social networking, right? That was it. I was there. Okay, and it it changed nothing. It, it it didn't even dent the establishment whatsoever. They carried on to do their dirty deeds. It doesn't have street street protests don't have the effectiveness unless you know people are engaged um, in a meaningful way with the real issues of the day and the political machine. And what happened was so many people came out to protest the war. But none of those people were engaged with the political system in a meaningful way. So therefore, it was a great day out. It was a fantastic display of solidarity uh, and so forth and anti-war, you know, sentiments and pro-peace and all that. It was great. It was a mo- I heard the same things talked about on the news. They said, oh, the, the atmosphere was just wonderful. It was so much love in the air. I was there. I remember all that. But it didn't it, – it's not going to change – the reality on the ground, that's the problem with street protests. They're really fun. It's a great place to go out and meet people. It's wonderful. The vibe is wonderful. It's kind of like a festival, right? But um, it's, it is misleading because a, a lot of people think they go out, they do the protest, and they've done their bit. They have the photos, the selfies, post that on Facebook, put that on Instagram. Wonderful. Pink knitted caps. Great. Here's my T-shirt, you know. But really, where are you going from there? And if you look at the Democratic Party, Hesher, is what I'm saying, they haven't addressed any of their core issues, which they lost the election, which is internal corruption, nepotism, establishment control over their own party, and a dead-end agenda, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. That's the thing. You know, this, this really was sort of a, uh, a death march for them, I think. Uh, it's... <laughs> You know, I mean, like you said, they don't even have any real issues anymore. All they are is is out there, you know, displaying their immaturity, their their unwillingness to accept their understanding of the way that their government works. Um, yeah. You know, and and all this this, like I saw some of these protesters uh, vandalizing Starbucks, uh, McDonald's, a limousine, stuff like that. I mean, Starbucks and McDonald's are two corporate entities that backed Hillary Clinton. So, I that's mean, true. What are these people doing other than having a tantrum in the streets and just you know breaking stuff for the sake of breaking stuff? It's yeah. going. It's going absolutely nowhere. I think it also says a lot that none of these protests happened um, while all of the Trump supporters were there. You know, there were tens of thousands of of Trump supporters there the day of the inauguration, and nothing happened until people started leaving. 
You know, I, I think they made a strategic move in, in not allowing themselves to be outnumbered and, and doing all these, you know, ridiculous ceremonies, these ridiculous immature ceremonies. I mean, geez, walking around with, with knitted female genitalia caps. I mean, oh God, what is this? I mean, how old are you people? And, you know, it's a great point you bring up about people flying in it's like the, it's like they um it's like they're getting a brownie badge or something you know it's like oh i i have just enough mom i'm all for the middle class and i'm the one percent and i have just enough money to fly to washington dc and and buy my my knitted hat and you know get the t-shirt and say that i was there and now i can put activist on my my liberal resume you know and carry on well you know i don't think it's going to go very far for them <laughs> their their you know, tea party is not going to have much traction <laughs> when when this is their you know this is their battle cry you know to get out in the streets with um, a total freak show wear these ridiculous things on their hat and shout uh, pejoratives about Trump it's just it's ridiculous it's ridiculous and everybody sees it. Well, look, uh, Washington D.C. the District of Columbia voted ninety ninety six percent for Hillary Clinton. And the four percent for Trump. I mean, so the you know the, a good number, a good chunk of the people you saw in D.C. are from D.C. out on the street. It didn't have any effect whatsoever on the election, and so it's being bigged up by the media, bigged up by the celebrities, bigged up by people who you know have already cast their vote for Hillary. They're, they're lifelong Democrats. They're adhered to the agenda. They'll never budge. Right. Um, and so it's really preaching to the converted. It's a great powwow. And, and here's here's one of the celebrities. Okay, this is Cher. I think we have this clip. Listen to this. This is um, yeah. This is Cher. She was out there. She was the uh, entertainer. Go, listen to this. We could we could do this. We can make a change. Don't give up. You know, if you don't, you know, stand and be counted or sit and be nothing. Wow. Was that even if only mean? you could, if only you could see the video of that. Okay, Cher is basically she. She's looking more and more like Michael Jackson as each day passes. I think she's two trips away from the plastic surgery to actually becoming Michael. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it'll be like if they do a sequel to The Mask, it'll be like a biopic about Cher. Now it's <laughs> oh, so no. bad. It's so bad, right? And so. And I feel really, I sort of don't feel bad for her, you know, that she's looking so funny because these people have so much money, Madonna and Cher, that they can afford to go to the plastic surgeon every every sort of 18 months, I guess, and get some work done to try to make them look 10 years younger, right, as they get 10 years older. Mm-hmm. And then they come out and they want to be with the people and they want to be like us, you know, and they want to. You know they they've made hundreds of millions of dollars off the uh, the music racket I like to call it um, the the racket which is the uh, entertainment industry and and it's it just kind of I don't know it's amazing it really is you know they they've got nothing they live on in such an ivory tower existence compared to the rest of the population and their whole careers is predicated on getting young girls to want to be like them basically to to buy all the products that they're wearing to buy their cosmetic lines their perfumes uh to buy their records um to act like they do in their videos basically 
um, and so forth. And th- this is what it's all about for them. And uh, I don't know, share, you know, is she, who is she? What is she? I these people are becoming more and more irrelevant. I mean, I think what you just said really, really nails it. They're they're hucksters and and salesmen ultimately, especially these Uber Uber you know Uber artists like Share. I mean, you know, people are starting to clue in that you know they have no business talking to us about politics and moral compasses. Uh, you know, that is not their business there was a great clip by uh, denzel washington that we played on boiler room a couple weeks ago and you know there are celebrities out there that get it there's a few of them that absolutely get it uh so it's it's refreshing to see you know some of them out there actually understanding their place you know and you know he he Mm -hmm. essentially said uh why is it that people that pretend to be other people for a living think that they can tell the public how they should feel and how you know what they should think uh, politically, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, like like Samuel Jackson, you know all his uh, his anti-white or anti-police rants that he does every, on on his uh, YouTube account, or um, uh, who else? Oh, the, the the list is endless. Really? Oh yeah, the uh, I, I've been pointing out a lot lately the the whole uh, Marvel comic book scene, which has been bought up by Disney now has Joss Whedon. Uh, the director of some of those movies going out and being, you know, directing some of these uh, so-called, uh, you know, <laughs> public service announcements with, you know, big names in it like Scarlett Johansson. He's essentially, yes. he's essentially yes. pulled the Avengers into a, a political PSA, you know, for the <laughs> left. Seriously. So, you know, when Robert De Niro made that video on YouTube about Donald Trump and said, you want to punch him in the nose and all this stuff. You know, at that point, you got to think half the country at that point is immediately boycotting anything. So, you know, I had I had good memories of Robert De Niro. You know, he made great films from The Deer Hunter uh, to, you know, important place in American culture. Right. Oh, yeah. And all of that. All of that. The bottom fell out of that. In I, I uh, taxi, October, I had a taxi driver poster, man. I, I would have to take that down if I still had that. Yeah, just and you know, just throw it away. I will never. I don't want to watch any of his films now because I saw an ugliness there from this person who was meant to be a you know a, a theatrical performer um, who's just took one side. And you know, this is the thing, Hesher. It's not about advancing some kind of. Um, agenda that's a moral agenda that's a universal agenda. It's it's when you it's when they're going to pick a particular side on a uh, an election, and I say that for Trump as well. I know there there are a few people like Scott Bayo and who are out canvassing for Trump, and that was all, that was cool. You know, he's he's a B list kind of TV guy, doesn't really do much these days. Whatever, that's cool. That you know, if he doesn't, but. You know, if he didn't do it, so what? Trump didn't need any celebrity endorsements. No, he didn't need any. He did. He didn't. And he, quite frankly, he didn't have any. So, what does that tell you about the whole celebrity game? Yeah, there. It looks their stock yeah. has gone down substantially, and it's going down even more. That you know, now that they're engaging in this kind of whining and you know, um, pink genital hat wearing marching uh behavior i mean it's it's ridiculous and can you imagine i mean let's uh let's put our our twilight zone on here and and go back to 2009 when obama was inaugurated could you imagine if 
there was a protest, um, a white male protest, and uh, Ted Nugent and Kid Rock were there, and they got <laughs> up on stage and said, hey, I thought about blowing up the White House. I mean, Madonna literally said this. Um, she did. You yeah. know, just take some of the things and some of the actions that we've seen from from the left and transpose them in a Twilight Zone string theory world into 2009 when Obama took um, that inauguration. And just imagine the backlash in the media. Could, I mean, it's it's amazing how these people are. I mean, they're clearly in charge of the media because it's it's allowed and it would not be allowed. It would be so un PC to have the exact same situation in reverse. So th- this is a, a profound difference that we're totally. seeing here. Totally. And see, uh, I think uh, Madonna dropped the F-bomb. I didn't have that that clip. But, you know, that's not that's not helping women. That's not help. I'm sorry. It's not helping the advancement of women. It's uh, embarrassing, you know. But celebrities like Madonna, like Cher, okay, these people, I'm telling you, they have no shame. Okay, that 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 ship left port long ago for them. Okay, they have no shame, so they go, they go under the knife every two years, you know. And then you got Scarlett Johansson; she was up there with like twenty six uh, earring clasps around the circumference of her ear, um, and so she's basically spent her whole career uh, objectifying, sexualizing images of women in her films. And now she's up, you know, raising Cain on the uh, in Washington D.C. at this event, uh, basically demanding that the federal government, that taxpayers fund Planned Parenthood abortions. Okay, now I'm under no, you know, delusion. Okay, abortion is a very complex issue in America. Okay, and it's got a, there's a long history there, and I'm not going to pretend to know, you know, what the answer is to finding the right balance there, okay? This is something that uh, the Supreme Court, legal scholars, uh, academics, people who are in social groups or whatever, women, men, everybody, the church, everything. It's an amalgamation of that conversation is so complicated. I'm not going to pretend to know the answer, right? But what I will tell you is this, okay, that... To, to say, to go up and protest as a celebrity or anybody to demand that the taxpayers pay for something that maybe half the country disagrees with, that is not uh, an open and shut. You, you can't say you have an entitlement there. There's a discussion that must happen, and it's a very honest discussion needs to happen, and you need to bring people from the clergy, from the faith communities, you know, Christians, whatever, everybody together for that discussion. That's not happening with this side of the political aisle. It's almost like it's an entitlement. We must have it. And and I look at the, the image that's sending to children is they, they're not, it's not pro-choice. It's become more than that. It's become like almost militantly pro-abortion, almost to the point of promoting it. And they're calling it reproductive health. And that's a PC term that's very misleading uh, because it, it, it shields the real discussion. And that discussion still hasn't happened in America, not in a meaningful way. And I don't, I don't see them advancing that discussion in a, 
in a meaningful way for all Americans. And that has to happen, Asher, at some point. We can't keep kicking that can down the road. It will happen. Maybe, maybe in this, uh, maybe in the next couple of years. I, I feel like that's going to come to a head. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to. You know, it's it's been it was slowly cornered into one of those political correct corners. You know, and I think a lot of people we didn't really a lot of people out there didn't really feel the political correctness creeping in as as heavily. You know, I mean, it's it's gone hyperdrive, hyperspeed. And and now, like you said, it's like the the religion of the left is is militant athe- atheism, and um, and very pro just degeneracy in in a lot of ways, you know. And uh, man, I, I I can't believe some of the the comments that I see from from people on the left about abortion, you know, and. I'm with you. I think it's a very complex topic and, you know, there needs to be a really good discussion about it, you know, um, on the medical side, on the spiritual side, on the, you know, biological side, um, scientific end of everything. That all needs to be on the table, but you don't see that. You don't see, you don't see the people that we're talking about on the left. You don't see them even willing to have that conversation. Like if, if, you know, you put, one representative from each of those groups in a room um, and and one conservative and and one um, progressive liberal, the progressive liberal is going to, I'm going to generalize here and I apologize to those moderate liberals out there, but the hardcore progressive liberal is going to look at um, a certain number of identity politics in the room and put a, a red line through their, their names, their faces and anything that comes out of their, out of their mouth and and you know that's going to be more than half the room that they will throw aside their comments um and that is including the entire um spiritual group like they they dislike them they distrust them and they think that their opinions don't matter and and that is a mental disorder you know and people have talked about liberalism being a mental disorder and i've always taken it as a extreme metaphor and a, and kind of a pejorative and didn't really think it was fair but I'm starting to understand that statement now. You know, the more I study these people <clears throat> and their reactions to what they see yeah. going on no, in the media. I, absolutely. You know, marching around with a big uh, uh, sign with a coat hanger on it, um, which I saw quite a few people uh, this yesterday, that's not very helpful, I think. And it, and it, what it, it oversimplifies a very complex discussion. And, and I don't think it's very honest either. But yet I see this tactic used over and over again that uh, if someone even mentions the issue on the political campaign trail that, oh, they're going to take all of our rights away, they're going to take our health care away, they're going to take this away, take our Social Security away, the old people are going to die, millions of people will die because of this, blah, blah, blah. This is a tactic that's normally deployed um, by the political left. And I will say uh, that these people, a lot of these people are brainwashed into a kind of a political cult of sorts, okay? Now, I'm going to be fair and say that on the right side, Hesher, that uh, with with regards to Islamic terrorism and national security, there is a, a, a large amount of people that are brainwashed on the right side. Oh, yeah. Of the, of, uh, on, so they 
both the left and the political right in America have this high degree of brainwashing on certain hot-button emotive issues, okay? That is an absolute fact. Uh, and, and they're not informed by uh, critical thinking or facts. They're informed by emotive images, uh, by coercive um, political uh, rhetoric, okay? That's what that's what you know forms their sort of political outlook and so forth. So he, here's one of these nutcases. This is um, will. So there's a show called Will and Grace that was on TV. I never watched it, but apparently it was big in the '90s. I don't know. I didn't watch any American TV in the '90s, so I missed all this stuff. But here she is being interviewed by CNN, and I get the feeling, Hesher, that for a lot of these celebrities, it's not so much about the issue. But they're also plugging their show at the same time. They're new, the comeback of Will and Grace. And it just makes me kind of ill, really, hearing this. But roll this Will and Grace thing. This is on CNN, of course. But here we go. Face it, the protest Trump. The Women's March website says the rhetoric of the past election cycle has insulted, demonized, and threatened many of us, immigrants of all statuses, Muslims, and those of diverse religious faiths, people who identify as LGBTQ. Um, a, I don't have a, I'm sorry, I don't mean funny about it, but LGBTQA, and Native <laughs> people, and black and brown people, people with disabilities, survivors of sexual assault, and our communities are hurting and scared. All of them are confronted with the question of how to move forward in the face of, of national international concern and fear. Well, one of those attending the march is the famous actor, Deborah Messing, one of the stars of a hit TV show, Will and Grace, which is coming back yes. for the storm. Here's my belief, and I'm not going to be completely negative about any of this stuff, because I believe in our system and I believe in hope and I hope the 8% of African Americans who vote for Trump, the 29% of Hispanics who voted for Trump, the 42% of women who voted for Trump will somehow feel that they were right. In other words, he will be better than anybody thought. That he'll come out to be, he won't be what he sounded like in the campaign. Well, All those groups. He, people who are vulnerable will be better off in four years than they are right now. They won't be hurt. But that would be, a, maybe that's too optimistic. Um, I, I think that's optimistic. I, I'm hoping a lot, right along with you, but given everything that, that he and his administration have, have said about their plans for the country and what they want to do, um, I, I can't imagine that it could be better in four years for any of the underrepresented groups that you mentioned. When you watched the campaign, when did you begin to have an, an attitude? That will lead you to march tomorrow. I mean, when is it? When did you begin to say, you know, darn it, I don't like this? Oh, I, I mean, it's the, the the second that it was announced that there was going to be a march, I committed to to being there for sure. I mean, tomorrow's going to be uh, spectacularly. Was it Trump diverse. in the bus? Trump when I interviewed him about punishing women for having abortions? I mean, what point did you say this guy is anti what I believe in? Oh, very early on. Very, very, very early on, um, I, I really was um, very entrenched in all the news cycles, and uh, and I was a very active um, participant in the the Hillary Clinton campaign. I traveled on her behalf, so um, I, I. So where were you? Oh, okay. Election? You remember? Ooh, I traveled was at the on her behalf. Interesting. Yeah. And when, you, mm. when it began to turn, and people like me and Rachel and, yeah. and Brian realized there's something up that Virginia was going to be close. So, and, you know, yeah. James Carville was sitting next to me right here, and he said, "If Virginia, oh God, I don't think I can take." It. Okay, so that was that, that was Chris Matthews from MSNBC. Sorry, um, one of the most annoying people on the planet. But <clears throat> I don't know who this actress is, Hesher, and. And the first thing I would be saying, even if I was a Democrat uh, activist or whatever, a progressive uh, activist, I'd be saying, why does this celebrity 
speak for me? Yeah. Why do I need why do I need a Hollywood celebrity to validate my political views? There's a fundamental problem in that, I think. And honestly, but they're doing it. They still do it. It's amazing to me. I mean, the the hubris of the the Clinton campaign to employ someone like Deborah Messing who is allegedly a voice for women's rights and gay rights. Okay, let's just follow this logically here. What kind of campaign who is knowingly and willingly taking up to 20% of its funding from Saudi Arabia is going to employ Deborah Messing to try to send a message of uh, peace, harmony, and love to women and gays in, in particular when 20% of, of that campaign money is coming from a country that is like one of the most brutal countries on women and gays on the planet. Yeah, well, yeah, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, any take your pick, basically. You know, any of the uh, the, uh, the 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 oil kingdoms, right? So, so here's another one that was employed by the Clintons. I've got a. I'm looking at a picture of her speaking at the Clinton Global Initiative, proudly. Her name is Ashley Judd, and uh, former country singer turned actress, and she's carrying on on this kind of I'm a nasty woman. Um, marching up and down the stage, basically laying it on pretty thick uh, for the crowd. And she said some of the most crazy things. And I looked at, I, I thought, wow, what a very unattractive person. Not a woman, not a man, whatever. As a person, I thought, how unattractive can you get? Listen to this. Next on the to-do list. When we take over the DNC. <laughs> oh Michael. Ashley. My name is Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd is and here. I am a feminist. And I want to say hello to Independence Avenue in the back. All the way down to 17th Street. Wow. And I bring you words from Nina Donovan a 19-year-old in Middle Tennessee, and she has given me the privilege of telling you what she has to say. I am a nasty woman. I'm not as nasty as a man who looks like he bathes in Cheeto dust. A man whose words are a diss track to America. Electoral college sanctioned hate speech contaminating this national anthem. I'm not as nasty as Confederate flags being tattooed across my city. Maybe the South actually is going to rise again. Maybe for some, it never really fell. Blacks are still in shackles and graves just for being black. Slavery has been reinterpreted as the prison system in front of people who see melanin as animal skin. I am not as nasty as a swastika painted on a pride flag. And I didn't know devils could be resurrected, but I feel Hitler in these streets. 
a mustache traded for a toupee. Nazis renamed the cabinet electroconversion therapy, the new gas chamber shit. Right. Okay. Wow. Is it, what, do you, what do you make of that? Uh, that was pretty horrific, actually. Uh, very over-the-top, very, uh, you know, this this whole um, Nazi fear thing that I'm seeing among liberals right now is really interesting to me. Uh, I saw a commenter yesterday say that Nazis are the greatest enemy of the United States, and I just thought to myself, where, which, where are, is there a Nazi army that I'm, there I is been informed there, about. There is. There's the one that uh, President Obama's administration was supporting in the Ukraine. There you go. Um, yeah. yeah. There's some Nazis around. There's some armed Nazis. Pre- yeah. Not as nasty as Hitler's Nazis, but, you know, pretty pretty damn nasty. Yeah, formidable. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, Obama was there. He, he dispatched his uh, assistant uh, secretary of state, Victoria Nuland, there to... Uh, to go and schmooze with the right sector in the Ukraine, uh, Nazis. Uh, John McCain was up there on stage with them uh, at a pep rally, a Nazi pep rally in the Ukraine, all to basically overturn and uh, put in a new uh, U.S. regime in the Ukraine and then blame the Russians somehow for destabilizing the Ukraine. That, my friends, is uh, fact. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pure easy. fact. That's easy to verify. You can look that up. That's really easy to verify. You don't have to even insert your political identity into that to verify those facts. And then you those are real must, Nazis. Yeah. Then one must ask uh, Ashley Judd, um, where were you with your microphone when that was happening why were you not on the lawn of the white house at that point where was madonna threatening to you know do political violence when that happened you know i don't understand why they're just selectively all up in arms over these issues now when um some of the worst travesties along the human rights um trail have happened over the last eight years i mean you know, we covered uh, we covered uh, the amount of bombs dropped by the last administration. Um, just in 2016 alone, it was more than three bombs per hour, 24-7. Wow. That's all wow. day, all night, all year, three bombs per hour over seven countries or more, perhaps, considering all the black bag ops. I mean... But, it, but it's okay because Obama dropped them, right? It right. means it's, for the left, it's okay. It's okay. It's, those were compassionate bombs, right? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Those were loving bombs. Those were bombs, and yeah, yeah, they did wipe out a whole family, uh, generations of families. And yes, women and children were uh, slaughtered where they stood. But it was okay because he didn't mean to to do it. Um, he it was a compassionate bomb. It was a loving bomb by our dear leader, who received the Nobel Peace Prize um, before he ever did anything. Um, yeah, yeah. Where is the protesting there? Where is the righteous indignation? Where is George Clooney there? Where are they? Nowhere, nowhere. But yet, George Clooney, Ashley Judd, they'll be the first ones to go and drop some money into the uh, White Helmets Fund uh, to show that they're doing their little bit for the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and advancing the cause of terrorism uh, in Syria. Uh, but uh, and so, yeah. 
it, the, there is no outrage for that or the lies that have been told constantly. Um, the dehumanization of uh, people of color in the Middle East uh, because they are somehow, uh, you know, under the wrong government and so forth. We saw that under Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, doesn't matter. Absolutely. Same story. Same story. And so here, I'll leave you, I'll, we'll leave this clip because I thought this was just, this is just the icing on the cake. This is the head of NPR, okay? National Public Radio, I guess it's called. NPR, the head of NPR News Desk. His name is Michael Ores, Oreskes. Michael Oreskes, head of news at NPR. Here he was this morning on uh, CNN, on one of their vaunted panels, telling us that, uh, you know, that the, the media needs to hold the government account for lying because the media are only honest people trying to do their job. This is what he said, believe it or not. Let's roll this NPR clip. Listen to this beauty. Ryan Prabus, the brand new chief of staff, uh, saying what they what, what the administration believes the press is trying to do. And the attempt to delegitimize this president in, in one day. And we're not going to sit around and take it. <clears throat> this administration believes there's an attempt to delegitimize the new president. Michael Oreskes, as you run the newsroom at NPR, is NPR trying to delegitimize the Trump presidency? Absolutely not. And we're not at war with him either. The president may feel he's at war with the media. The media is just honest men and women trying to do their job. You know, Brian, <laughs> that beautiful building behind us, it, it has a meaning. And the meaning's very simple. When the framers created this country, they designed a brand new system of government where the legislature and the judiciary were independent of the executive. And James Madison showed that plan to Thomas Jefferson, and Jefferson said, that's not good enough. You need more. You need more protections for freedom. You need more protections for liberty. So they wrote an amendment, and it said that the freedom of press and the freedom of speech and the right of people to peaceably assemble were all protected right. as part of the plan, as part of the system of guaranteeing a free society. That's what we've watched play out in the last 48 hours. If you back out of it, it's actually quite inspiring. But we're not enemies of the president. We have a natural adversarial relationship designed by the system. We stand independently of the president and of his people so that the public can have information that comes separately from the president's own words. But let's... Wow. So, so uh, let me just say to the head of NPR News, the framers of the Constitution did not envision a media and press in America that would be bought out and owned by the military industrial complex, the pharmaceutical industrial complex, billionaire cultural Marxists like George Soros. Okay. Our framers didn't envision that you see. So when he talks about the free press, he's talking about an imaginary ideal. And let me tell you, NPR is one of the biggest propaganda machines uh, in the United States uh, funded by all these same foundations of these same billionaire cultural Marxist culture kings, okay, and other sources. I don't know if they get government funding or not, but I think they do, NPR. You know, to have that guy lecturing me or anybody on what the press should be, and he listened to to NPR's reports just on 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 war in Syria as if they were just written by the State Department. It's a joke. Okay, to call them press, NPR is not press. There's something else. They're they're propaganda. 
And to be lectured by this guy, oh, man, it made my blood boil, Hesher, honestly. That made me mad, too. Boy, I hadn't heard that yet. I'm, oh, boy, I've been on mute just back here, like, screaming at the wall. Yeah, I know. That's worth a replay on Boiler Room, actually. Yeah, but yeah, uh, that, <laughs> that may need to go on the soundboard. Uh, we could put some other clips up next to it of of NPR doing exactly the opposite of what he said. You know, I mean, talk about holding ad- an administration or a president to task. Uh, I think your example of the coverage of the the Middle East is the perfect example. They're they're not holding him up to anything. They're spouting the talking points that are coming out of the State Department, and that's it. No, yeah, they're providing public relations support for whatever the policy of the day is. That's what NPR is. You know, to call yourselves uh, press, don't insult that term. Honestly, yeah, it's and- really. And listen it's just to this. terrible, terrible, so, terrible. So NPR collects, uh, and this is from their own data, they collect 34% of their money from quote-unquote individuals, 19% from corporations, 5% directly from federal, state, and local governments, um, 13% from colleges and universities, which we know are largely funded by governments, so that means they're probably getting... Um, you know, working on grants with professors who are also working on government grants. And then you have uh, CPB and public broadcasting entities. So uh, that is hardly public at that point when 20% is corporations, 5% straight up federal government, and then you've got uh, universities and and another 10% is just marked other okay so the, don't if you if you're th- out there an NPR listener out there thinking that you know oh i listen to NPR and i listen to ACR because they're both independent well no they're not we're not getting any funding from any corporations or government industries foundations i mean just go through the wheel it's just look up uh, NPR uh, financing and you'll find it it's right on their website yeah, I'm sure there's some Ford Foundation, some Tides Foundation, maybe some Open Society Institute. I'm sure there's a few of uh, of those uh, uh, entities uh, pumping a little bit of money in there. Rockefeller Foundation, maybe. Right. Yeah, hmm. well, yeah, foundations. Possibly. That, that's great. Just uh, open-ended foundations. Okay. Yeah. Or the, the, the soon the soon to be enacted Henry Kissinger Memorial Endowment Fund. Uh, so I'm sure that will be coming down the pipeline uh, any day now. Yeah, and, and so. 34%, the largest um, piece of that pie by individuals. Now, can you think, I can think of an individual who could fund that kind of um, percentage of NPR. His name is George Soros. Yeah, there you go. There you go. The most evil man in the world. I'm sure he's chipped in a few bob. Oh, yeah. To, to old NPR. And, uh, you know, don't get us started on Voice of America. I don't even want to go there. Well, let's not. I mean, I'm still in a good mood today. time. Since 2009, 21st Century Wire has been a trusted source of alternative news with opinion, analysis, investigative reports, and features covering stories from North America to Europe to the Middle East and globally. In the last two years, we've grown dramatically. This year, we're expanding our programming and our reporting 
and adding to our team of dedicated contributors. But we need your help. There is a way you can support us. Go to 21wire.tv and click on 21wire membership to find out more about how you can help support our platform by subscribing and becoming a member. In return, we promise to keep it independent and keep it real. But that's not all. By subscribing to 21wire.tv, members will get access to more premium content like virtual private screenings of new documentaries and short films and get inside access to members' podcasts like On the QT with Patrick Henningsen. And also, you can see our new morning commute show Drive-By Wire with Sean Helton as well as our new geopolitical current affairs series, Insight, shot in high definition. By becoming a member, you're also helping to support the Sunday Wire radio show, as well as all our great reporting at 21stCenturyWire.com. There's more. Members will also gain access to our fortnightly Members Situation Report newsletter, as well as special discounts on all 21 Wire merchandise up at our online store, Shop 21. Subscribe and become a member at 21wire.tv.